Right. Thank you, Robert. Um, yeah, we're preaching, uh, we're looking at Isaiah today, Isaiah chapter 7. Now, we, we all know Isaiah from Christmas, if you've been in a church of Christmas before. The famous reading, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. But that's chapter 9. And as we heard in the reading earlier from Matthew 7, that's from Matthew 1, it quotes another chapter about a virgin giving birth to a son, and he'll be called Emmanuel. And so I wanted to look at that chapter for a change, to see how that helps us understand Jesus, understand Christmas. But the thing is, it's a rather weird chapter because it's about events in the 8th century B.C., and most of us, we know kind of who is the current president of China and the U.S. and those kind of things. But we don't really know much about politics in the 8th century B.C. So I wanted to just uh, go through some names and places to help you understand the reading, if that's okay. Because, yeah, otherwise you probably think this has nothing to do with Jesus. So uh, why don't we go through a few things? So in the Old Testament, God's people were the country of Israel. And how long ago, Israel was one country under David and Solomon. It was a great kingdom. It was wonderful. But King Solomon turned away from the Lord. And uh, in 922 BC, it split in two. And so we have now two countries, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And if you read the book of Kings or something, it talks about Israel and Judah. And Israel was then the northern kingdom. Now, and in the reading, there's three particular countries that are constantly mentioned. Um, one of them is Judah. So Judah is the south. The capital city is Jerusalem. And the king is called Ahaz. He wasn't a great king. He led the people in idolatry. He's from the house of David, though. He's uh, yeah, a descendant of David. So in the reading, when you hear Judah, Jerusalem, uh, that's where it is. Now, the northern kingdom is also mentioned. It's called Israel, but sometimes Ephraim. Ephraim was one of the biggest tribes. So when you hear Ephraim, it just means Israel. The capital is Samaria, and the king is a guy called Pekah, the son of Remaliah. Eh? So that's that country and capital and king. And then next to Israel, you've got Aram, or better known as Syria. Uh, the capital is Damascus. It still is. And the king at the time was called Rezin. Now, okay, so that is the, the main players. But what was happening? Well, there was a big crisis for Judah because Jerusalem was besieged by Israel and Aram. Uh, they uh, sent armies to attack Jerusalem, which is rather a scary thing, isn't it? Uh, we've seen sieges on the news, Aleppo. Uh, Yeah, a national crisis. Now, I don't know what you would do in a crisis. We'll think about that in a moment. But King Ahaz, he he had his own plan. He was going to ask the Assyrian Empire for help. The the big superpower to the north is Assyria. And he says, well, if I just give them a lot of money and serve them, I will ask them, can you please get rid of those other countries? His plan is to ask Assyria to save them. That's not in the passage, but we know it from other places. So, uh, yeah, that is the the background to today's reading. Let me first pray, and then uh, God will speak to us as we read Isaiah. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've been speaking through the centuries. 
and you've been speaking about Jesus. Pray that as we hear uh, an unfamiliar chapter, uh, that we would see Jesus and that we'd come away encouraged to keep trusting him, to keep following him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the second reading of today is from um, Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king resident of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram was aligned itself with Avram, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear, uh, uh, Jasper, um, to meet Ahaz at the end of aqueduct of the upper pool on the road of Londres field. Say to him, Be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of this to uh, smoldering steps of firewood, because of the fierce ang- anger of Rizin and Aram and of the son of Remalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Remalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tebel king over it. Yes, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Resins. Within 65 years, Ephraims will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remelia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, your house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating courts and honey before he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boys know enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring you and on your people, on the house of your father, a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. So yeah, quite a reading. Um, I don't know what you think if you're here as a, a visitor. Maybe you're new to Christian things and it seems very irrelevant Maybe all of Christianity seems irrelevant. Christmas seems irrelevant. Um, It sounds like uh, something just about the 8th century BC. And depending on where you used to live, um, I come from uh, the UK, 
before this. And uh, every year there's articles saying, look, this is about the 8th century. It's got nothing to do with Jesus. You can see why it's not a popular Christmas reading, isn't it? But just think about what's going on here. There's a, a siege, isn't it? What would you do in a siege? Uh, we've, again, we've seen it in the news. Aleppo was once a nice city, now it's a ruin. All the hurt, all the misery, all the, the brokenness, the death, hopelessness. That is the world we live in sometimes, isn't it? Uh, this might be something in your life. I mean, Hong Kong is a nice place. But we know there's people with children in hospital who are uh, fighting for their life. Uh, it might be marriage problems. Maybe you're worried about what will happen in Hong Kong when democracy is fully gone. Yeah? Uh, there's crises. What would you do in such a case? Would you celebrate Christmas? Because that's when Christmas seems so irrelevant, isn't it? When life is falling apart, when there's a crisis, to then take time and celebrate Christmas seems so irrelevant. It seems to offer nothing. Yeah, a crisis that leaves you shaking. That is what we're going to talk about today. Because that is when these words were spoken, wasn't it? Yeah, the house of David was told... Let me... Whoops. The house of David was told, well, there's an alliance. And they were shaking, according to verse 2. Like the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. It was a big crisis. Uh, you know, I don't know, a siege, no food. Or at least no new supplies. The food runs out. Armies outside. You can't go on holiday. Um, and soon the armies will be inside the gate. What would you do? Well, let's listen to what God has to say in his word, because it's in that context that this promise of Emmanuel is made. And that's why uh, I think it's good to look at that. Not that we are being besieged, but this is something that comes to us, isn't it? When we see the war and disaster in the world, when things go on in our lives. What does Emmanuel have to say to that? Well, the first thing we're going to look at, um, just to understand this whole story that's here, what is Emmanuel? Well, in first instance, it's a judgment here on unbelief. A judgment on unbelief. I mean, if you hear this story, that is what seems to be going on. So we just thought about Ahaz, right? This king and his plan to go to Assyria. But God says, well, look, Ahaz, you should trust me. You should trust God. Yeah, verse 3, then the Lord said to Isaiah... Go out, you and your son, Shear Yashuf, to, uh, to Ahaz. Verse 4, say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Uh, do not lose heart because of these guys. Uh, verse 7, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. In verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Uh, Ahaz, you should trust me. It's fine. It won't happen. It'll be okay. Uh, all this stuff in between about, okay, the head of Aramis, Damascus, etc. He's just making Ahaz think. Look, yeah, they've got Damascus and Pekka, whatever. Look, what is, the, what is the capital city of Judah? It's Jerusalem. It's God's chosen city. That's not going to fall. And, and, and who are you? You're the son of David from this eternal dynasty. 
You're not going to fall, right? He should trust God's promises that he's made about Jerusalem and the house of David. But does Ahaz trust? Well, no, isn't it? God says, look, I will even give you a sign. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. I'll do a miracle to prove it to you. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Uh, Ahaz refuses. Now, this is not just very holy. I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to ask for a sign. Because God tells him, ask me for a sign, right? He's just disobedient. I mean, we know why Ahaz doesn't want a sign. Uh, He doesn't want to be persuaded otherwise. No, no, I don't want to see any evidence against what uh, I've planned. That's what's going on here. Uh, This king who just has his own plans, and he's not going to listen to God. And you can hear how God is angry then, isn't it? Verse 13, then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? God is angry with this king who refuses to believe. This is God's king. He knows God. He should... (laughs) Believe, but he doesn't. And so the Lord himself will give you a sign. God's going to do something to show him that he's wrong. And then we get all this stuff about the virgin. Now, what is God's sign here? What is he saying? Well, the first thing that uh, uh, he says is that actually that threat you're so worried about, it will soon be gone. The threat will soon be gone. At the end of verse 16... The land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Like I said, you don't have to worry about them. And that stuff before it is a kind of timing thing. It says, okay, there's a virgin. She'll conceive, give birth to a son. We'll call his name Emmanuel. And then he'll be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. I think it's about weaning. So by the time this child is weaned, then the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So just a few years' time, as someone who doesn't have a child now, she'll have a child, and by the time he is weaned, those kings will be gone. It sounds pretty soon. It also sounds pretty positive, right? I thought this is a bad sign. Well, it goes on. God doesn't stop there in verse 17. Actually, you get something worse, Assyria. Verse 17, the Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father, a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. And he is looking to Assyria for help, and God says, well, I'll have a sign for you. When in a few years' time, those other kings are gone, and the Assyrians are attacking you. That's a sign to you. That tells you that you should have trusted me. That's a judgment on unbelief. It seems rather harsh, but this is God's king. He's held to a high standard. But if you read it like this, it makes a lot of sense. But it seems to be a child in Ahaz time, right? Going to that verse about the virgin uh, conceiving and bearing Emmanuel. It seems to be in Ahaz time. Isaiah has a lot of these kind of timing things. I mean, to give an example, I'm pretty good at at IKEA cupboards by now. I moved to Hong Kong five months ago. I've done a lot of IKEA building. I can do it pretty well now. 
Now, maybe you don't believe me. So I'll give a sign. You go for lunch. And when the time you come back, the cupboard is standing up. All right? Something like that. It's a timing thing. And I think that is what's going on here. Yeah, when uh, in a few years' time, the time of a pregnancy and weaning, and then Assyria is attacking you. That is a sign to you, Ahaz. A sign of judgment. Again, that's, that's how most people would read this on first face. Although, then we have to think, okay, but isn't this a virgin birth? About a virgin conceiving? On the other hand, depending on who you've read, people will say, well, it never was about a virgin. Uh, Richard Dawkins, the famous British atheist, uh, uh, well, it's often said, oh, it just means young woman. And it's just a mistranslation to say it's virgin and gives birth to this legend. Uh, some translations of the Bible put it like that. Uh, is it is about a virgin birth. If you have a good news Bible, it just says a young woman who is now pregnant will have a son. Is this a virgin birth? Well, I think it is a virgin birth. It does say um, well, a young woman, that's true. But it's a young woman who has not yet given birth. That is kind of the, the meaning. There's various words for young woman, but this is the, kind of the deeper meaning of the words. And in an age without contraception, that's pretty close to a virgin, isn't it? Uh, there's another word that people say, well, that is the word for virgin. But if you look up that word in the Bible, there are sometimes non-virgins used, and that word is used. So the other word does not mean virgin. And this is the closest word for virgin. Uh, this is the best use the most suitable word for virgin. However, even though I think it can mean virgin, and it means a young woman who is a virgin, I don't think it's a miracle. I don't think it's a miracle. It doesn't have to be a miracle because virgins often conceive. I know a few virgins who have conceived. It happened on their wedding night, right? The thing about a virgin conceiving is that there was no guy involved. That was the special case with Mary. But someone who is a virgin and then becoming pregnant, that happens. And so uh, it can easily be read that way, and I think Ahaz would read it that way. And certainly it has to be something for Ahaz, right? It's a sign for Ahaz. And for God to say, look, Ahaz, I've got a sign for you. 700 years later the Messiah will be born of a virgin. That's not much of a sign to him. It's a sign for him, back then, that he has done the wrong thing. So I think, yeah, I think it is a virgin conceiving, but not in a miraculous way. And in, in saying that, I'm not saying Jesus was not born of a virgin. He was, because Matthew emphasizes the lack of uh, contact, the lack of uh, physicality. But that's just not what this verse originally meant. That's all I'm saying. But so then, what, what does it mean? Uh, um, is it not, uh, if it's not a straightforward prediction, how do we get to Jesus? Well, we'll come to that in a moment. But first, um, I guess at the same time, you hear this judgment on unbelief, and some of us are worried, right? What does it mean for me? Uh, what, does, uh, what does unbelief look like? Because here is uh, Ahaz, and he's just asking the Assyrians for help. Why is that wrong? And how would we do the same, maybe? 
I mean, uh, if I'm sick, can I go to the doctor? Or should I just don't fear, do nothing, stay calm? Well, the thing is, Ahaz had an explicit message from God here, isn't it? He's got a prophet saying, don't fear, right? Don't go to the Assyrians. It'll be fine because this is God's city. And yeah, he disobeyed that. And if you're sick and you get an angel coming at your door and the angel says, don't go to the doctor, you shouldn't. But the thing is, that usually doesn't happen, right? God can use doctors. At the same time, what is your heart then? Okay, it's good to go to the doctor. Do you pray? Or do you just, you know, I go to the doctor, he'll make me better. And you never pray about those things. That's wrong, isn't it? Then you're not trusting God. Or, yeah, whatever crisis is going on in your life. Do you pray or not? We want this church to grow. Do you pray? Come to the prayer meeting. Or do you just think, well, we've got Hebrew, the church will grow, it'll be fine. Uh, that is the thing. And, you know, sometimes God does give an explicit message in the Bible. Right? He says, for example, ancestor worship is wrong. I think most of us know that. But if you're so worried that, oh, let me just in case do this, that's unbelief. I, I hope that's clear. So it's okay to use other things, but are you trusting God to work through them? Or are you trusting something else instead of God? But ultimately, this is not about unbelief. It's about the opposite. Because this, here is a woman calling her son Emmanuel. And that is a cry of faith. Emmanuel here is a cry of faith. Because what is happening, this is a siege, right? Where is God in a siege? Think about that. Your city is besieged. Again, food is cut off. Armies outside. The threat of death. Where is God? Most people would say, well, look, clearly God has abandoned you, right? God is not on your side. God isn't even there, maybe. Otherwise, he wouldn't let this happen to you. That's what most people would say. But here is a virgin who has a a son, and she calls him Emmanuel. And that means God is with us. And so she's making a statement, right? I believe in God. I believe God is with us. I have this child and, you know, God is with us. He's on our side. He'll come through. He'll protect us. He'll come and save us. God is with us. That is what this woman believes. And that is the the snuff to Ahaz. Ahaz, yeah, you don't trust God. But here's a woman who does. She calls her son Emmanuel. She trusts me. That is faith, isn't it? And that is what Emmanuel seems to me here, isn't it? Amidst this, this judgment, actually, here is someone trusting God. I mean, would you believe that? If you're besieged, if you're in a crisis, if you're in a hospital, do you believe, you know, God is with me? God is on my side. Many people wouldn't, would they? They just, yeah, God wouldn't. No, no. God is on our side. He loves us. He'll come through. And that is... Not just here in chapter 7, it goes through in the, in, in the rest of this section. Because in a way, we should have read all the way until 9 verse 7, but that's too much. 
But uh, we've heard that there's another crisis coming, right? The, Assy- the Assyrians are going to attack, and they're much worse. But how do people respond? Uh, eight, if you go to chapter 8, and the Assyrians come, uh, 8 verses 9 and 10. It's the same idea. 8 verse 9. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. It's faith. It's an expression, no, no, God is with us. It won't happen. God is with us. That runs all through this section, this faith in a crisis, faith in the darkest times. God is with us. Faith that keeps trusting. And and that's a trust that is encouraged. Uh, Faith that keeps on trusting. And God encourages that faith. Uh, God constantly says, don't fear. Like to Ahaz, uh, 8 verse 12, do not fear. And all those children, they have meaningful names. They have difficult names. Uh, There was a young baby here in the first uh, service. Don't know what he's called. Probably not Shear Yashuf or Maher Shalal Ghashbas. But God says, okay, give this child a special name. Uh, God's people will return. Or uh, those guys will be gone. And now Emmanuel. God wants us to keep trusting him. In crisis after crisis, there's faith that God is with us. And then that looks like faith. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, that's what Christians look like to you. Right? People who uh, seem to have this belief in God when everything seems to be against them. And you just think, why? Why would you have faith? Why would you hope in God when all this is happening to you? Why hold on to these promises that seem so empty? That is Emmanuel, isn't it? It's a cry of faith. But the thing is, it's faith that is fulfilled. Because it is a promise fulfilled. You think this woman was wrong to trust God. But you read on in Isaiah, chapter 7, they keep trusting. Chapter 8, they keep trusting. What happens in chapter 9? It's the famous reading. In chapter 9, is a child born. And that child brings peace. Yeah, you, we're going to read it on Saturday evening uh, in the Christmas Eve service. What is the famous Christmas passage? Well, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, those light in the, in the, living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And their oppressor is gone. They have joy. There's no more war. And suddenly that becomes meaningful. Hey, we hear that passage read, it's nice. Actually, that was encouragement for people in a siege. People at a terrible crisis, fearing for their lives. But they weren't fearing. They were trusting God. And in chapter 9, yeah, their trust is rewarded because a child is gone. And, and that child, I think, is Emmanuel. Because, the, yes, it's mentioned in 700 B.C., but the child is never recorded. There's no birth. It never mentions it. But this child in chapter 9, he's called Mighty God. Here is a child who has come to us, and he's called God. So that child is Emmanuel, ultimately. And that child is born of God. And that's how we do get to Jesus. But it's via this faith, this faith that, yeah, God will come. 
God will come and save us. He's on our side. And yeah, that is what Matthew has in mind. And can you see what Matthew is doing? He's not saying chapter 7 predicted that Jesus would be born of a virgin. But he is saying chapter 7 predicted that God would come and save because he's, all, he's with his people. And that is fulfilled in Christmas, isn't it? We look at Jesus and we see, yeah, God is on our side. Did God abandon us? Did God leave us? He didn't. Because he sent his son to come and be a baby so that he could grow up and die for for us. We see Christmas here. We see that, that hope that people had fulfilled, a promise fulfilled. It's just in a few steps. Yeah, people, uh, it's like a mountain range. You're climbing a mountain. You think you get to the top. Actually, there's another top behind it. Uh, that's uh, what it can feel like with the, these Old Testament prophets. Uh, it looks like it's just uh, something in the 8th century. Actually, there's something greater coming. And it, it's on the way to that. But this is a fulfillment here. But you can see how that really gives meaning to Christmas, isn't it? Because Christmas can seem this, uh, this nice story. Uh, the, the shepherds and the angels and the kings and uh, the donkey. We saw it last week. But it is about hope. Uh, what, what is the message here? Have hope. God is on your side. Hey, it's not just a nice story. This is for people in a crisis. People in darkness. And those people are told, God is with us. It's not just a theological statement. It's not just, you know, uh, God was up there in heaven, but he came here, and so God is with us. It's not just about, I know, physical proximity. It's not just that kind of with us. It means God is on our side. God cares for us. God loves us. And so he would come and save us. That is what Emmanuel means. And again, I don't know what's going on in your life. If there are things that you're so worried about, things that clouds everything, that makes a darkness hang over your life, God is with you. And we know that because Jesus came. God may look absent. It may look like he doesn't care. But we see Jesus and we know God cares for us. God cares for you. He cares for the human race. That's what makes it such a great Advent passage, isn't it? Advent is when we're kind of waiting for Christmas. We're in the dark, waiting for the light to come on, which is why we have these candles. This is an Advent passage, Emmanuel. It's dark, but God is with us, even in the darkest times. And that is such a great message of hope. Now, how do we put it into practice? I guess we can trust, right? We have peace and stand firm. We're not shaken. But I think the best way to celebrate it, to to, to do this, is just to celebrate Christmas. I mean, if life is falling apart, would you celebrate Christmas? Most people wouldn't. I mean, think back to Aleppo. In a siege, would you celebrate Christmas? And probably you'd think, no, I wouldn't celebrate Christmas. I've got more important things. That shows it's an act of faith. If you trust God and you think, yeah, I can take some time out and celebrate Christmas. That is faith. 
to actually say, no, I, I will trust God. I'm not going to trust in me sorting it out. I know God is with us. God is on our side. God will sort it out. God will come and save one day. I'm going to celebrate Christmas. I'm going to stop studying for my exams. I'm going to stop worrying about my work. I'm going to celebrate Christmas and remember Jesus. That takes faith. And if you're here as a visitor, yeah, that is why we celebrate Christmas. It can seem blind, but actually it is real. Can you do that? Can you stop worrying? Christians have something that stops worry. They have faith in Jesus who will come back. Well, why don't we uh, stop there? Why don't we sing a great prayer? O come, O come, Emmanuel. Uh, I love this song because it has this tone. It says, come, rejoice, because Jesus will come back. It's It's a very dark carol that has this underlying joy. So let's sing this together. And then Pastor Hebrew will close the service.